filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster So it's a white shirt. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> it's like the dumbest white shirt. It's so white that it's terrible. I mean, most of them it's, are terrible, but this one's very terrible. It's so white, it just moved to DC. <laughs> it's so white, it has a trust fund. Yeah, ouch. I mean, uh, I where's am, the lie? I am more concerned about the continuing presence of gray. Yeah, uh, gray is not one of the team's colors. Someone I've heard someone sh- needs to be told this. Jason, Jason, I've heard through the grapevine that the shorts are going to be gray, which I am not looking forward to. Um, your adult mind when and if that that proves to be true. I mean, Jason, it's uh, our website has long been known as White and Gray United, right? I think you mean Gray and Gray are united. I mean, it, it white and off white united. If it's if it's paler shade of gray united. If it's white, do, I now, gray, do I now just need to sing uh, Proko Harum now? Is that going to? No, I think we should show? let Jason talk. <laughs> um, no, if it's if it's white with gray with gray shorts, it it reminds me of those like lazy training gear looking Minnesota um, mm-hmm. debut season jerseys. Um, or just like or, the training yes, gear that Philadelphia just wore in an actual yeah, game. it just there's nothing it, like the training gear stuff. It every team has that gray training top, um, and they just slap the badge on it, and that's really like I don't actually think the jersey is ugly. It's just there's nothing. It inspires nothing in me at all. Like I have no reaction. Um, which right. is, I mean, the last the last home jerseys they had. Do. The last home jerseys they had at RFK were partnership with uh, DC Vote. You had uh, the outline of the district with uh, the flag there. You had taxation without representation on the inside of the collar. Um, like it, it was, it was perfect. And in, in my mind, that remains the platonic ideal of a modern post three stripes era DC United jersey, and. This is as far from that as you can get. And and I said last year when the secondary came out, when it was it, it was basically wild and out. It was it was a weird motocross shirt. And it was uh, insecure chitin. I was okay with it. I actually got the the away jersey before that, which looked like a 1980s uh glass shower door. <laughs> and I, I was okay with it. I liked it, in fact, because it was it was bold and different and uh exciting in a way that the home jerseys can't and should not be. So I was okay with going out there and taking risks with the away Jersey. And this shirt takes, I don't know if you can take negative risks. It's just, this is a shirt that is, it it is an agoraphobic shirt is what it is. It is afraid to go outside because it will get stained and it will get mocked. And 
it's I, just, I just there's there's nothing distinguishing about it. There's nothing DC or DMV or even East Coast yeah. about it. it. It could you it could be literally any team in not just the country in the world because there's yeah. nothing distinguishing about it. Yeah, it's real bad. I mean, I, I it seems like it's the you know DC has been sort of drifting. You know, I haven't been happy with away jerseys in a little while the addition of gray uh has not been making me happy um it seems like that caught up with you know caught in at the same time as uh league-wide uh the crop of the crop of new jersey this year homes and aways for everyone across the league it's terrible Um, let's, let's put some blame on one of the main uh violators here adidas is doing a real bad job on jerseys this year and last year yeah i think we gotta we gotta throw some shade at the league too because we know fifa a few years ago adopted this you need to have dark versus light and if light can be white then that's even preferable and MLS adopted that with a, the gusto of a convert. Sure, but let's, let's, let's not let's let Adidas off the hook. No, 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 no. Have but not it's thrown both enough of shade them. at Adidas. Yeah, yes, I agree. But let's throw some more shade at Adidas. Right. It, yeah. And I mean, we, as as Adam has talked to people who work for the team before, the team wants to do some th- some unique things with their jersey designs, and then it gets it gets processed by the league at various levels yeah and in this one there were so there were there's so many things you can do with a white shirt as dc united you can do the 1998 tire tread jersey you can do weird patterns like yeah you could do the waldo um you could do you know what no one's wearing the the red and white vertical stripes that shivas usa uh, used to wear you could do something like that because those are those are colors that are associated with dc united you can do some weird harlequin thing i don't well, care just do something a, i mean seattle is if i'm not mistaken they might just be putting that out as i'm saying this i've known for a while that um their away was going to be black with pink and it's like black with neon pink um not that dc could wear black as their alternate obviously but um seattle you know, black and pink are not their colors. And they were like, well, let's just go for it. Um, and so there's like an effort was made. Uh, there are design elements. There are. It was um, like that one year, like it was the one year where I was a Everton fan and they had pink jerseys that year, even though their main color is blue. Just like do something unique. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the whole league, you know, Seattle obviously is now accepted, I guess, in, in that. But like. Yeah, there was there was a tweet thread. I don't remember who who had it, but there was a guy saying that um, the decision to ha- to almost require white jerseys wherever possible was a um, MLS competition committee decision that Adidas went along with. Um, but I but I also I wonder, you know, I bet if you ask the right people at MLS, they'll be like, no, no, Adidas gave us these templates and said these are the templates you're stuck with. Good luck. Um, so I, I think it's probably you know, somewhere in the nexus of that. If um, people are uh, subscribers to that, the athletic uh, Jeff Reuter put out that article about long sleeves um, and his attempt to find out uh, whether MLS was actually doing away with them or not. And he couldn't get a straight answer out of anyone. Um, and it, it was sort of like, it was, it was doing his head in because he was, it like, was, a, it was a Cohen brothers was, movie. 
Yeah, it was like, how is this? It, yeah, it was like the end of Burn After Reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, how is this simple question getting me multiple vague answers that contradict each other over and over again? It's just, it's a simple question that a, a company that makes gear should answer or a league should answer. Both should answer it very easily. This should be a question that they answer in one sentence and that's it. It's really, like, uh, yeah, there are long sleeves. I don't know where you heard that. Or no, we are doing away with them. That's correct. But no one had an answer because it's it's a mess. Uh, I, it's not. Jason, it's what those- are sleeves even? <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Sartorial Umbridge podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk not just about soccer jerseys, although about if we sleeves. could get away with it, we we would talk a lot more about sleeves. Um, we talk about DC United and MLS, and that is what we've got for you tonight. We are going to look at DC United's preseason closing loss to the Montreal Impact, and we are going to look at the regular season opening win to be, crossing fingers, Don't against Atlanta it. United this weekend at Audi Field. Watch it on ESPN at 6 o'clock Sunday night. Uh, we're going to have a guest on to help us preview that. Before we do anything, though, Benjamin, what are you drinking? I'm going back to basics. I'm going back to something simple. I'm drinking a bourbon smash, which is bourbon, uh, simple syrup, lemon juice, and mint. We recently purchased mint uh, so that I can make delicious meals with it. And I'm also going to make delicious drinks with it. Not seasonal, but I approve. Yeah, I was going to make a, I, I almost thought about making a mint julep and I was like, that is even less seasonal. So I'll mm-hmm. go with a different mint drink. Are you going to plant mint at your estate out I'm there? Not. No, you should. The thing about mint is once I you know, plant I, it, I, I it just it grows. grows. Yes, I know. I know. I know. It's but beautiful. we're doing a lot of, we're doing a lot it of stuff in our good. yard. Yeah, we're doing a lot of stuff with our yard, and I just need mint on hand in my pantry and not need to I worry about both. growing it. Por que no listos? We may at some point. Uh, I've got I've got a glass of, well, and and what's left of a bottle of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, just red wine from the grocery store that's not does, bad. Does it have a brand, or is it just Cabernet Sauvignon brand Cabernet Sauvignon? Uh, Santa Rita Secret Reserve. Um, I don't know. It's imported by uh, Palm Bay and Boca Raton from Santiago, Chile. So, Chilean Cabernet. All right. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so last week I got sick. Um, and it robbed me of my appetite, uh, which is not I'm not used to. Um, I know that does it does happen with people when they get a cold sometimes, but I, it has never happened to me um, that I can recall. Uh, but it definitely happened last week. So um, I've been uh, allowing myself a little a little less of a healthy eating pattern and more just like, oh, that's that's something you can't eat back to back normally. Like you can't have pizza and then the next night have fast food for dinner. Um and in that vein to sort of build myself back up, um, I've allowed myself to have a soda. So I have a bourbon and Coke because um, I normally try not to drink soda whenever possible. But I also spent a week 
eating like 500 calories a day at the most. So it's, uh, it's time to get back, get back some, uh, some sort of nutrients, even if Coca-Cola is not full of most nutrients, um, or any. is what I'm telling myself. Uh, uh, so, so as you build yourself back up, you're allowing yourself not just to eat, but to drink like a 19 year old. I like the commitment for, for the time being, I probably do have to, this is probably the last hurrah. I had pizza for dinner tonight. Um, and then tomorrow I should be back on a, uh, eating like I'm 36 and there are consequences to drinking sodas and eating pizzas and acting like an idiot. So um, Jason, would, would you say that it's the last hurrah? Nah, yeah, you do it again. I would not say that. Um, also all of these words that I'm saying are probably getting it. Um, like tomorrow it will be Tuesday and I will go back to a reasonable person's, uh, eating habits but then on wednesday i'm going to philly to cover the women's national team which means a two-hour drive uh here and back which means stopping at maryland house and eating wendy's so you know <laughs> yep say lovey lovey wendy's give us money ben i'm so mad at you right now <laughs> it's my go-to DC United finished their preseason in something less than auspicious fashion Saturday, losing in St. Pete to the Montreal impact by the score of three to nothing. We'll get into what went wrong and what it means and whether it matters. But, but first I, I do want to give credit where it's due and, and say, take a bow, Matthew Schwanier, um, or Matthew Schwanier, um, he he came in and in what Jason 10, 12 minutes of work uh, tallied a goal and assist and at least one broken ankle. Um, it was, it was a, a virtuoso performance for the, the young homegrown player from Montreal. And uh, I'm choosing to focus on, on what he did and not who he did it to. <laughs> yeah. He came in uh, for 17 minutes. He replaced Ignacio Piotti. So you're thinking at that point, it's one nothing. Piotti's off the field. The danger has subsided a little bit. Um, obviously, if he can play anything close to that level on a regular basis, it's like Mont- I mean, he was there last year. Um, they signed him to a homegrown deal, I think, last winter. Um, but yeah, he is like two steps better than I thought he was going to be at this point in his career. So, um, And he's they- 20. Yeah, and if they added him to a team that has Piotti, um, that still has um, Safir Tider, though he went out injured, um, and Arudi looked pretty good. Um, yeah, Montreal might be better than than I thought. Certainly, they were more organized than I thought they would be. And his goal was so good. Yeah. His goal was good. His cutback against Hara um, to, to break at least one of Hara's ankles. Hopefully he can, he can play uh, going forward uh, and, and isn't actually injured, but um, it wasn't a, it, it didn't look like that dramatic of a cutback, but I mean, he, he saw the player coming and used his momentum against him and kind of just Jedi mind tricked Hara, which hopefully doesn't happen much more to Hara, but then picked out the pass afterward, which not every 20 year old or, 25 year old in MLS can do. Um, yeah. Hopefully Montreal's not actually all, all that great because I hate playing Montreal, by the way, can yeah. we never play them again. Can we move them to the West somehow? I mean, they're further East than 
anyone save New England, I want to say. I don't geographically. care. I don't care. That's a fair point. <laughs> when I was a kid, the Atlanta Braves were in the National League West. So, uh, and that was before there was even a Central. So, do with that what you will. Jason, <laughs> Ben, let, yes. let, I'm just going to open up the floor to you guys. Whoever wants to go first, claim it. What went wrong in this game? Pick something. Ben, you you go first. Uh, I'll start with just defensive line play. Uh, the defensive line was just not nearly as good as it was before. And I don't know if it was the fault of the people who were chosen. Uh, I want, like, uh, you know, I'm a Jalen Robinson fan, but I think both him and Briant, like, it just showed that they needed to, they needed to sign somebody new this off season and they didn't. And it's a problem. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I will say that, you know, yes, it was three, nothing. I don't think Montreal created like, you know, that the announcers seemed to think that Montreal had created just a thousand chances. Um, that the announcers really... were saying that after three minutes yes. in which DC uh, United had pressed Montreal into their end for most of that three minutes. So I, I don't know. The announcers yeah, also yeah, yeah. had many mispronunciations yeah, and I, I, I was any... not enamored with them. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, Montreal was the better team. I don't think they were three, nothing better. Um, I, but what does concern me, not even so much, um, you know, there were some defensive lapses, um, Hara getting beat by Schwanier. Um, there was Bill Hamid's double save that came with, you know, a play that Birnbaum had shut down. He was in the right spot. It looked like all he had to do was put his foot on the ball um, and he just missed it. Um, so that was not reassuring, but um, I, I, I feel like it wasn't so much that DC was outright bad or in, had individual performances that were terrible. It was more like, everyone was below par except for Hamid Rooney and Acosta. Um, and the rest of the group, you, you, they can't really get away with that. Um, and, you know, there was a lack of bite in midfield. I thought Russell Knauss didn't really make his presence known in this game. Yeah. I, you know, he was out there, but I didn't feel like normally when you watch DC United play and Russell Knauss is on the field, you know, he's on the field. You he has not been. Yourself- he has not been his late uh, 2018 person or his late 2017 person this this preseason. Yeah, right. And, and you know, Ariola looked, you know, in other games, he's been, been pretty good. In this game, it just didn't, there wasn't much there. I think maybe some of it, some, some of this might honestly just be as simple as DC playing most of their starters against Philly on the 20th and then turning around on short rest and doing it again. Um, that is, that's actually how I was going to close this right. is I think I, I wonder how much fatigue played, played into this because intensity and execution were both issues outside of uh, a few moments of, of, you know, of, of good, clean soccer on their part. Um, the pressing early on in the game and at the beginning of the second half was, was really good, but as each half wore on, they kind of faded rather quickly. 
And that that's the kind of thing, you know, once you get a break, you can go for a sprint and play really hard and, and well for a short burst and then things start to come off. So I wonder if this was if Ben Olsen was looking at this as one last chance for uh, to build some fitness, even on short rest, knowing that he has a full eight days to uh, to let the guys recover and get ready for Atlanta. Um, and And I wonder how much that played into this. I don't know. Honestly, I mean, that I, I, I would say it, it, it played into it. Um, it did look to me like a team that, um, they just weren't, they just didn't have their normal zip. Um, but at the same time, you know, that doesn't excuse, you know, you find a way to get involved anyway. And I felt like a lot of guys, um, sort of let the game pass them by. Um, I don't think this was. Ne- I don't think Montreal had any particular particular tactical surprises uh, in the way that they approached the game. Um, they played like Montreal of last year. Um, I don't think DC was caught off guard by any of that. Um, I think that they're just they just didn't have enough players who were one hundred percent fully engaged in the game, and and some of that might be, you know, a motivational thing, but some of it too is just if you're tired at the end of a long preseason, uh, it's hard to then turn around and, and be at your best. Um, and this looked like a team that was maybe done with preseason before that game started, um, which isn't good. And I'm sure, um, you know, it, it, the post game video that the team provided, um, Olson didn't seem too upset because it seemed like he had gotten the response he wanted from the players uh, amongst themselves. Um, this wasn't a game where he was like screaming and kicking things in the locker locker room. Um, because you can't just go doing that all the time. People will immediately stop listening to you. Um, yeah. And, and also it, it's more effective when it comes from the other guys. So, um, Rooney and Acosta and Hamid and the players are smart too. Um, those three guys had the best games and if they come in and you know, Hamid is loud, um, you know that Rooney can commands tremendous respect in the locker room that Lucho commands respect in the locker room. Um, when you throw those three guys in there and they come in and say like, guys, that wasn't good enough. Um, no one has to get angry about it. It's just um, sometimes it, it hits home to just state the facts like guys that sucked. Uh, we're better than that. Let's not play like that again. Um, and, go ahead, Ben. And we know that, uh, we have a lot of experience in uh, DC United and MLS preseasons. And we know that preseason is an indicator of some things, but it's not an indicator of a lot of things. And DC United has had good preseasons, some seasons, and then has been terrible in the regular season. So I think that hopefully this is just building towards a regular season where they can figure things out, but I'm not, I don't put too much stock into this preseason just because DC United has done a lot of things in preseasons and the regular seasons have been completely different. Just going to throw the name Juan Manuel Pena out there for any old heads who, who remember that particular old head um, or when uh, Jaime Moreno was the scored like nine goals in the 2010 preseason. That was the same. I think that yeah. was the same preseason. Jeez. That was a long, I don't remember. It was, like, it was like a ago. decade ago. It was almost it a decade was, yes, ago. It, yes, it was. Um, 
like I said, old heads. Yeah. Uh, Jason, you would know. Are we correct about that? Is was it that was the 2010 preseason? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that was the season that Pena um, was brought in and then played well, but then was injured because he was old. Um, and then that was it. Uh, he was still older season. than he was still older than, was, than any of us are now. Yeah, I want to say he was 37 or 38 at the time. Yeah, that's what um, I was thinking, too. And people might remember that he also was the uh, connection that brought Bruno Miranda here because he's now uh, involved in either as an agent or scouting uh, in South America in general. So um, and, and one man went up. Try again. Can't no. You'll get there, buddy. Mon Juan Manuel Pena was even known as the Mummy Ven. Like that was his nickname then. It's just like well, no, this was no, you no, don't know, sign a mummy. Let's be let's be happy that we live in an era where um DC's solution isn't um at the end of or you know, in the middle of the preseason to needing a defender isn't to sign someone that's in their late thirties. Um they just yeah, signed nobody. That said, Pena did have an amazing preseason that year. He was really good uh, during that preseason. United fans might not remember his playing career, but he was like one of the most uh, all-time capped players for Bolivia. Like he was no joke. Um, it's they just, just that they just signed him five years too late. Right. Um, Even no, one year too late. <laughs> like, he was an extremely experienced player, and you could see that his brain was working at a higher level than everyone else's. It's just that the body wasn't allowing him to do anything about it. Um, and that happens to us all, including me personally, uh, currently. And and myself. We we talked before the show. And me Ben's on this computer. Podcast. Ben's computer is breaking. Jason's brain is gone, and my body has betrayed me. So we... Um, that that is where the podcast stands right now. We form, we form uh, one complete human on this podcast. <laughs> Almost, it's not a fully functioning human. It's Voltron missing an arm. <laughs> there you go. Can we get an illustration from a listener on that? I would, I would be tickled by. I would. I would. <laughs> um, turning back to this game, we now have thirty minutes of tape on Lucas Rodriguez and and a couple of games from. Uh, Leonardo Hara. Um, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on the the two newcomers who seem likely to be first choice starters, at least at some point this season. I all all of the evidence before right now and this preseason points to Leonardo Hara being a really good player, and he's been good in the attack, but defensively, I'm not sure he's that much better than Akeem Ward. And I know they're going to run him out there if he's healthy enough on uh, the opening day, but I think the gap between he, him and Akeem Ward is a lot smaller than any of us would have thought uh, on the day that Hara was signed. Uh, personally, I think Hara reminds me a lot of where Mora was when he first got here. Um, and it's just going to take some time. I see the fun, the fundamentals of a player that should be very good, that should have deserved his resume from before this. Um, he just also looks like someone who isn't quite sure where to be. Um, and it took, and you know, the same thing happened with Mora. He's in a new league. The coach speaks a different language. Um, 
things are getting lost in translation. It's going to take some time. Um, I think once that falls into place, we should be pretty, it's, I think he should deliver on what we expected. Um, but we're not getting one of those, um, you know, MLS, occasionally you get that MLS alchemy where someone walks in the door and it just immediately works like with Rooney or with Christian Gomez in the deep past, uh, are the, are the best examples. Um, this isn't going to be one of those. This one might take a little time. Um, but I, I think he's going to be, he's going to be good once we get him there. Once DC United, um, gets him to the point and uh, I'm, I'm kind of stealing Adam's own way of putting it, but once he's, he's not thinking the game once he's just, it's just coming naturally. Um, and he's not Jason and I, Jason and I were invited on to, uh, a, a home before dark podcast last night. And, and that's something that I, that I said last night. So, um, um, yeah, he's, he's not playing naturally right now. He's still figuring out the system and he hasn't built up the muscle memory yet. And I, I think Jason's right. And Mora is a, a great analog. We saw him when he was, I, I think Mora is better in emergency and transition defense than Hara is at least it, when it comes to making that last ditch slide tackle. That is a skill at which Mora is, is kind of elite is just making that slide tackle and winning the ball and knocking it away at the last possible second. It's, it's, it's a preternatural ability that Mora has. Uh, and I'm not sure Hora, Hara does. Um, but outside of those moments, Mora last year had a, a growing period where he was just not quite there. And then all of a sudden he was. And and I think we'll see the same thing from Hara and hopefully it's on an accelerated timetable because um, he, he might be going up against PT Rodriguez uh, next week or this week. And that's uh, that that's not a, a matchup you want to well, be having to think about. So- We'll get into that in the next segment. Um, I think calling that formation three four three was not accurate. Um, I thought you know Matt Doyle I saw earlier today referred to it as a five two two one, and that's much closer to what I would call it. Um, right. I mean, either way, if if Hara plays against yeah, yeah. Atlanta he, the way he, he did he against Montreal, then he'll have he'll have PT flaring out to his side to to get that matchup at least um, at least sometimes. Um, yeah, but, you know, we also don't know. Um, Frank DeBoer mentioned, uh, wanting to rotate more often, um, than Mark, uh, Martino, but we can save that for the next segment. Um, you mentioned Rodriguez. Um, yeah, let's talk about TT. I thought, I thought that the performance in the first half hour was tepid enough across the board from the entire team that I came away from it with very little, uh, of a feeling about, um, Rodriguez. He wasn't getting much of the ball. Um, I will say I, I, I wasn't satisfied with his attempts to get himself in a position to get the ball. Um, he looked a little lost out there like Hara. Um, but I thought more than anything, the platform that the team put him on, um, with, and and by the team, I mean the guys on the field with him in those first 33 minutes, um, they just didn't give him anything to work with. There wasn't something where it was like, oh, it's not working because he's not doing his job or he's confused. It was like, it's not working so fundamentally that um, it's hard to even get a read on what he's doing wrong. Um, He didn't, you know, I I wish we had opto data from that game, um, but uh, he just, there weren't many touches. There there wasn't, people weren't looking his way, I guess, uh, is one thing I will say. There was a lot more um, 
looking to the right for Ariola, um, not just from Rooney and Acosta, but all over the field, people are looking that way. Um, and maybe this is part of the lack of familiarity because he missed some time. Um, and the, you know, the game, when the game isn't going well, players tend to look for what's familiar. And so, you know, Ariola is going to make himself available. He's going to make the run. They've all, everyone else on the starting lineup has played with him more than they've played with Rodriguez with the exception of Hara, but that goes back to his time at Estudiantes, um, rather than here. Um, so yeah, and they play I, I on thought, opposite sides of the field. Yeah, um, and so I thought that the that lack of familiarity really um, combined with the bad performances or, or the flat performances, more accurately, it just really left me wondering. You know, I, I want to go rewatch the game again just to focus specifically on Rodriguez because the game kind of passed him by. It was kind of passing everyone by, and and he wasn't given much of a platform to do anything about it, which was, you know, uh, it's a letdown, um, but it's also, it's something that might happen from time to time at this stage of the preseason anyway. Uh, one quick thing going back to Hara. I agree with everything you said about TT. Um, I'm going to watch Hara's positioning against Atlanta, at least when United's in possession. He was doing weird things when the ball was on the left side of the field. When United had the ball on the left side of the field, he was staying really deep and narrow, which didn't make any sense to me. Um, he was he was staying about five or ten yards away from Russell Knauss, and I, I had no earthly idea what he was doing there. Um, it, it would have made a lot more sense, especially because we know the wingers get or the, the outside midfielders get pulled in a lot. And it, their job is to help, you know, maintain that central channel so that Lucho can go create overloads on the strong side. So you expect Hara to get wide out to the touchline and push up to be an outlet so that we can get the big switch, especially as teams, you know, bunker in and push into a low block against United. The only way to open that up is to move the ball back and forth a little bit, and you need that wide option up high. And that was something O'Neill Fisher was really good at last year, was getting into that exact position. And I, I think Hara will be really good at that. He just, I don't know why he was positioning himself the way he was. Um, real quick, because we got a guest coming, we have to call him on in a, a couple minutes. Uh, any positives to take from this game? Lucha and- is is... Remaining in boss mode, and that is great. This was yeah, the, the first preseason game he played in, in which he did not score or assist. He had a a, a GNA per ninety that was, I think, close to two, if not over two, uh, based on his minutes up until this game. But he went ninety minutes in this, and United didn't score, so uh, yeah, his was record was blemished a little bit. Yeah, shove your stats. <laughs> yeah, I think Ben's got the right idea here. The stars for DC United delivered. Um, Bill Hamid was really sharp. Um, that double save what is worth yeah that, mentioning that again. That was something um, else. And you know, the goals themselves were all pretty. I mean, the third goal is a wonderful finish. Um, the other two were pinpoint low shots that were taken well. Um, Uruti put the right little curve on the ball to make sure it it got out around Hamid's dive before it tucked in. Um, Piotti's shot through traffic was just a uh, really well well struck. Um, you know the 
that part of it wasn't on me. The, the, um, and, and Rooney and, and Acosta were the ones creating all the chances. It was just everyone else was letting them down. And, and, you know, if you told me that DC comes in against Atlanta, who are the three most important players? Like, of course, it's going to be for DC. Rooney, Acosta, and Hamid have to play really well. I think they're, I'm, I'm not worried about them playing well at all. Lucho has shaken off whatever nerves he might have or, or um, feelings after the PSG thing. Um, they don't worry me. Uh, the performance from everyone else that was in the game is something is something else altogether. Uh, the other thing, um, which isn't, you know, Adam, you asked for good news. Um, the, the other bad piece of bad news is that Joseph Mora took a knock, uh, hit his head, and, you know, we have to wait now for an injury report because if he has a, if he picked up a concussion, he's probably not going to be able to play at the very least against Atlanta. And it could be longer. Um, so hopefully it was just a precautionary thing and, and that was it. But um, yeah, there, there weren't, a, there, there wasn't a lot of good to take from this game, but the most important players on the team all delivered, which is, it's weird, right? Like it's weird to have a three, nothing loss in which your three best players did do well. That's strange. It is, especially since the playoff game went to penalty kicks and Bill Hamid showed up in that game, but Lucho and Rooney obviously were, were shut down and it was at least to some extent, they, they were not their usual selves. And, um, I want to see United. Well, number one, I want to see them be connected and, and scoring and creating goals. And if they aren't, I really want to see other people be able to step up the way they did against Columbus to score a couple of goals in that game. Um, but those are things we'll be able to get into more later. Right now we have to uh, transition to the next segment, bring on Dan James. So uh, stick around. This is Philip Lister. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's here. MLS starts for real. 
this weekend, and DC United will kick a ball in anger for the first time in 2019. Sunday, 6 p.m., Audi Field, watch on ESPN. It's against Atlanta United, the uh, defending champions and interlopers United. Dan James is here from the Home Before Dark podcast network and Atlanta United Weekly. He is here to uh, help us preview the game. Dan, welcome to Filibuster. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, sorry you've had to put up with me, but at least because obviously Tim is the best part of our podcast and obviously Kevin is the worst. So I guess you You know, it it averages out pretty well. We get we get down the middle of the road. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, drinking a uh, McKenna bourbon that's aged been aged for ten years. Wow, okay. that's a good amount yeah. of time. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's better than uh, some of the Atlanta distilleries that are trying to do bourbon for like a year or two, and it, that's not good. <laughs> no. Express no, I mean, bourbon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also called gin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to start a debate about bourbon on wood chips, but I, I do think it's it's kind of cool now that we are we've been around long enough as a podcast that if a bourbon is older than us, it's worth kind of smiling and nodding at uh, in appreciation. That that feels good uh, just <laughs> on a personal level. Um, what you're telling yourself because we're old. That's yes, all it is. That is a positive like- spin on being old. And <laughs> also, we we've missed the boat on not creating our own bourbon. It's true, but someone else did it for us. There's a filibuster bourbon out there. Uh, right, but we don't get any money from that. Not a single cent. That is... <laughs> hey, makers of filibuster bourbon. So why did we you, have why did some you one thing. energy to talk about? Give why did you money. buzz market them? <laughs> so one thing I've learned about being uh, old is you just don't times do things a lot better than you can ever do. So I have just decided to let the bourbon makers make it. I'll just... That's very zen. I appreciate that. I'm going to have to think on that. I probably will reject it just I in just my... Uh, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's just a personal thing. So, you know. <laughs> so, Dan, um, thank you for coming on the show. I have to get this question out of the way at the top. Uh, do you have any hostility in you at all towards DC United based on the fact that Ben Olsen ran Tata Martino out of MLS? out during the 2017 season but then um when the prodigal well he's not a prodigal son but when Assad left and joined dc united i just had to follow suit and then i did not have any hostility plus also russell knaus i've got a big soft spot for him i like enforcing central midfielders um and then that I guess I just have to put up with Luciano Acosta because uh, <laughs> he tends to just destroy us every time. Uh, but during 2017, it was kind of just it was it was just a comedy. Act. The worst team in the league swept us for three uh, for three games, uh, but then we got a little bit. Of, what are we at four two now for the total head to head season? Against. Uh, yes, I believe that's that's right. Yeah. So maybe we can uh, we can even it out this year, but we shall see. 
I, I for one hope not. Uh, and, and I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping your answer to to this next question will will help me feel feel more confident. Uh, Atlanta United are in the Concacaf Champions League. They didn't show too well in the first leg against Herediano, and the second leg is coming up this week before the game on Sunday. I'm curious. Number one, just give us some your perspective on that tie against Herediano and how you think it's going to affect Atlanta United's preparations and approach against DC United. So in our short hit some traditions, and one of those traditions is to use the first game that means something uh, in every season. So we've we've managed to do that, fashion, and now or not dramatic fashion, overwhelming fashion. Correct. And then the second game that we've played, uh, we have always won, and I believe we're at an aggregate score of nine goals to two. So hopefully, uh, we can use some of that completely irrelevant data uh, to beat Herediano <laughs> two nil or four one or whatever we need to do. It was very weird. Um, I guess, I mean, Herediano, they were in the middle of their season right now, even though they've got um, a lot of injuries to their squad. They have not been doing too great uh, in their league. I think they're middling in the middle of their table. Um, We are Atlanta United. We've got a brand new coach with a brand new philosophy. Um, Our uh, talisman has left us for the uh, largest transfer fee out of MLS. And we have this new guy, Petit Martinez, and he is going to take some use to because he is a completely different player to Almiron. Um, also, it was just, it was a bad, it was bad conditions. Um, I feel like Herediano were more, much more up for this game. They seemed to have circled this game of their season that, uh, or whenever it was announced that Atlanta United would be going there. Uh, and they, I mean, they took, it wasn't as bad as when we played Houston last year, which was a complete shambles. But this was, I mean, guys were totally out of position. Um, there, there was little to glean, but as if, if I feel like if the game had gone for three halves, then we would potentially win because it seemed like in the second half we were starting to get our bearings a little bit and we were able to slow the game down, sort of look to see exactly what was happening rather than the insane mad uh, kerfuffle that we were trying to do in defending and any sort of midfield play during that first half. Um, So do you think there'll be some rotation against DC United? I assume that uh, DeBoer is going to want to win the tie um, and, and come back, make up the deficit, or or am I wrong in that? Do you think he'll prioritize the, the game against DC United, or will he just go full strength in both? I think if he's going to prioritize, it's going to be the CCL. Um, so early in the, we have, the season hasn't even started yet, and we're in a do-or-die situation. Um, in potential, So I guess this could potentially be the biggest game that we've played outside of the MLS Cup final. I, I'm, I'm assuming he is going to go with the same formation, uh, with the same group of guys. Uh, I'm, I think putting a... So when, when Tata Martino came in, he um, was insanely rigid with the guys he was, was going to play. He played the same formation. He played the same guys uh, in those formations. And he told... There were reports coming out from 
when he would have uh, film room sessions with the players that he said, yeah, you see this great bit of play that you actually scored a goal, goal from? Well, I don't want you doing that. That is not how I want you to play in the system that he wanted implemented into Atlanta United. And I feel like we needed that because um, we were a brand new team and we needed to have a strong fundamental base that's going to have a stubborn manager that would stick with it uh, because we needed to establish something. We needed to establish some structure that other things can be uh, fastened to. And now we're moving in, you know, the the Dutch three four three system, which everybody needs to be on the same hundred percent of the time. Um, it's it's as if if one of these strands breaks, the whole tumbling down. So I think it's it's probably not the best philosophy or for the. Uh, the season with in these games, and it could very well be a downfall in season. But I feel like once you've established something, if you're going to turn it and go in a different direction in the second competitive game that you're going to play, I feel that could have more of a detrimental effect um, uh, further into the actual limo. That's that's the way I kind of view it. Uh, Daniel, watching the watching that first leg, um, the thing I was struck by most of all, um, it's really, it's like a one-two punch, but I'll start with the thing that struck me. The the most strange choice from DeBoer was to play Michael Parkhurst on the right side of that back three. Um, After, you know, his career, he's had plenty of experience playing in the middle of a back three, um, going all the way back to his early days with uh, New England. Um, that decision to switch, essentially to switch him and Miles Robinson, um, it looked like Robinson seemed fine with it. It just looked like Parkhurst was not physically up to that um, pretty demanding role. Uh, do you do you have any idea what DeBoer was looking for? Like why, why he made that change? Or was it just a misreading of two players? I think well, so. Miles is what six foot two, and he mm. is he's got a he's got a good frame on him. I th- think what he was trying to do was maybe give someone a little bit athletic in the middle of the field. Potentially, he knew the two um, strikers that were going to be in that four four two system. He did a little bit of uh, someone with some legs who could potentially catch up with them, although. Parkhurst on the right was strange. That I mean, we haven't seen that as much. Uh, Jeff Lorenowitz has been dropping back into the middle. Then he's been that middle CB where Parker has. Um, but I thought that, yes, there were some plays that he didn't, um, that he didn't, he, that weren't successful. But I'm kind of impressed with the legs that he showed. There were a lot of times where he was um, dashing to get back and was able to pick up um, his speed and actually catch the defender here and there. Um, obviously, I think the defending was the second goal where it was everybody was caught way too up the field and then two guys were just um, slashing down the wing and was able to um advantage of a turnover from uh my boyfriend LGP 
and because and, and Parkhurst and Miles Robinson were completely out of position at that point, and it was, I mean, the writing was on the wall at that point in time. But the other two goals, the first one was just, I mean, you might as well just ran in and kicked it in your own goal at that point with LGP head making that atrocious head back. And then the third goal on the uh, free kick, uh, Gressel totally lost his marker at the at the far, far post. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second half, I thought the defense actually played pretty well um, with LGP. Uh, he, he had a nu- numerous um, couple of recoveries right in the box. And Miles Robinson was able to shoot guy um around to the right hand side of the, the field and stop them getting delivery into the box so i wasn't too concerned about it um my concern was more just sort of general uh there was no sort of general coagulation of idea within it was very disjointed that was my main concern and i feel like that's something that can just build a you good, but I'm not very confident for was it Thursday night? Uh, I'm <laughs> of that competition, um, and then see how we match up against a a DC team that hasn't had the same um, preseason experience now as we have had. So continuing with the theme of players who are older in their MLS careers, uh, Jeff Lorenowitz is a longtime MLS player, and he's not the fastest player anymore. So how do you think he he played, and do you risk, do you wish that the team uh, had brought in a, another? central midfielder to supplement, to challenge Jeff Lewinowitz and maybe just provide a little more speed in the center of midfield? I think that he's going to be challenged with what Nagby and Rometty can bring to this 3-4-3 system. So uh, the way I kind of sketch out how I think the guys are going to line up is Obviously, you got your three top in the midfield with Pity Martinez. I feel he is more of a natural tradition, which is different to Almiron. And then that makes me want to just push him further up the field. So you end up with more of a diamond shape in the middle of the park. So, and I don't think that's that well. So I have a feeling this could be a year it was potential that the wheels could fall off that we were sort of rolling the dice with him it could happen at any time but he's uh he's a pretty he's he's put together um this this season i have a feeling this could be a bridge too far for jeff i think the system is like for him and kevin and tim actually interviewed him um season he and he hates the fitness drills <laughs> and i feel like this is something that he need um during this season i mean don't get me wrong i love jeff lorenowitz uh, i can't believe the value that we have gotten out of him um but i feel like 
in this system, Nagby and Rometty could push him out eventually. And then I feel like if our back line um, with Franco Escobar, if he can get healthy and stay healthy so long as Brad Guzan doesn't knock him unconscious for the third time, then um, Jeff could end up being a bench player. Uh, Daniel, one thing that um, kind of came as a consequence of Herediano playing, you know, admittedly they looked very well prepared and, and um, really hyped up for the game. Um, they seem to understand the turf, which is a very CONCACAF Champions League thing that that I guess every single team in MLS is always going to have to go and play on a, a surface that is like sort of okay and then have to deal with it. Um but one thing I was struck by was that um, not just Lorenowitz, but uh, Remedi, Remedi seemed to spend most of the game looking around and being upset with his teammates, like uh, something else was going wrong that was, you know, guys weren't doing their jobs, that kind of thing. Um, and it seemed like no one elsewhere on the field was giving that duo any real support. They weren't getting um, support from the, the wide forwards who were tucking in a lot. Um, the center backs weren't able to step. Uh, the wing backs were stuck out wide. Um, do you think that uh, that's something that they're comfortable with, or is that it was that uh, midfield problem so pronounced that they're going to maybe start thinking about Nagby um, full time now that this strange little go back to Columbus rumor seems to have sort of subsided a little bit? Yeah, I. I... It's interesting. I wonder what actually happened in that whole thing. There was so I don't mean to like go off on a little bit of a tantrum, but I yeah, either thought Nagby was it was like either Nagby had some like family potential family medical issues to deal with. Um and I think that because of one of DeBoer's statements, Nagby, you've just got to deal with this situation right now and then come back to the team when you've dealt with I'm kind of more of an optimistic. Well, how does that be optimistic? So I was either going through it was a health problem um, or it was potentially he was trying to get more money on a contract. But um, I I want his relationship with the team to be good, and I think it's going to be fine. But um, I think going back to my earlier point, as the the whole team – seen off the page and we've kind of glided through this preseason uh barco dyed his hair and was doing these crazy highlight reel runs through um Tijuana, them beating their reserve 6-1 and i get really worried when we have a good preseason uh i don't i feel like there's a lot more areas we should be probing uh if we are just blowing teams out the door, um, the, I feel like so, so like last se- last preseason, um, I think we lost every single preseason game and everyone was breaking some stuff. Uh, I'm not sure how much of that we did because a lot of it was um, uh, a lot of it was closed door preseason games. So I'm more worried about in general in the communication but um i think nagby is going to cement his role within the squad uh relatively quickly 
Do you happen to be a, a longtime watcher of DC United? Literally in the last segment, we were talking about uh, how DC United's best ever preseason led to one of the worst seasons in MLS history. Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I know preseason results have very little bearing, but uh, on the regular season, but um, that was just a little too uh, very, very familiar. Right. You get so hyped up and then it's just, it's like they just shit on your heart. And you're like, <laughs> that is what sports are there for. Let's be honest. Well, I'm a Falcons fan as well. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so still Dan, getting over that one. Um, yeah. So, Dan. Uh, um, what, yeah, what, go ahead. Know, sorry. Yeah. Uh, we know that you've signed u.s national team enigma breck uh there's no other way to describe him i prefer and, actual human being believe it or not breck <laughs> it, he is an unable to process human being uh, only human being by evidence alone we no proof available of his humanness uh but he is a he is a apparently human soccer player, and he is signed to Atlanta United. And he did not start in the last preseason game or game. He did not start in the CCL. Uh, George Bellow started in front of him, and Frank DeBoer's reasons were something about him being too tall for turf that I don't understand at all. Uh, does Frank DeBoer actually think Brexia is a good player? Does he think he has a place on this team at all? Does he just think that uh, George Bello is better? What is going on here in any way, shape, or form? So the way don't have a problem with Frank DeBoer starting Bello. I feel like if we went back and we were able to do it again, I would say, okay, yeah, let's do George Bello. Let's start him over Breck Shea. Because no what Breck Shea is going to really give us within this system that we're we're trying to do he but he's, he's still, too tall for turf <laughs> yeah you, maybe that was a translation error i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that didn't that didn't make sense to me either um but i guess that's why i'm just some guy on a computer talking to other guys about soccer but uh, no, we're we're definitely we're guys on computers. We're obviously better than any uh, head coaches at any side. <laughs> well, I mean, I threw my hat into the ring because um, I found out where Darren Eels lives through, you know, just watching various houses and following <laughs> flags around, and you know, you know, packing some emails. Uh, but so the the way I look at it is. This was going to be fantastic experience for George Bello, and if um, if we as a fan base were very smitten with with Bello because he came in, he scored that minutes, we won the game, and um, but then that was it. We he played two games, and that was it. We didn't hear anything else. Um, so everyone was like, all right, Bello starting, that's great. Uh, but then, of course, when the result happened and the performance happened, I mean, this is the first bit of diversity, uh, diversity and adversity that 
Bello has, uh, that we have a fan base have seen Bello face. So this is a real uh, teaching and growth moment for him. Um, and I hope that the team like Parkhurst and LGP can take him aside and say, hey, you you really messed messed up on that game, but it's okay, that happens. But the important thing is, um, so I'm happy for George Bello to get that experience. I don't think, uh, I mean, this was, a baptism of fire uh and i think i don't know if if breck Shea really could have done anything and, and changed the game then we will see that bear out uh in the fe- in the upcoming season I, I mean so i'm a birmingham city fan as well so breck Shea was on was loaned to us i think so you we a, were back in the championship are you, a jonathan, and, are you a jonathan specter fan uh, I was, but then um, just Orlando, a lot of Orlando City, Haley. I mean, I, I remember I, I was remember I was going to get like 23 on my Birmingham City jersey, but. Orlando City is uh, my least favorite team in the MLS, even though <laughs> I'm not supposed to hate them more than New York Red Bulls because I'm a DC United fan, but they are my least favorite team. Well, the thing has been before they got to MLS, just for yes, in, yes, in yes, I, yes. I've hated them since the USL days. Well, a logical person can see that the Red Bulls are a decent team, and Orlando are not a good team. But... All right, Dan. Thanks for thanks for coming <laughs> on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's just like the 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 jaded fan base that are all like. Uh, you guys are a terrible team and we're actually a decent team. And it's like, well, you're not, I mean, you might as well just be talking to a wall at that point. <laughs> I, I prefer object, objective uh, criticism from people rather than <laughs> you play on turf and you're built not bored and you're a bunch of plastic fans. Well, it's like, well, I remember someone told me on Twitter, I don't know what terrible or do, does that make me not a soccer fan? <laughs> I mean, what what sort of gatekeeping bearing does knowing what a terrorist is? Anyone but, gatekeeping look, people's fandom is just bullshit, right? So I mean, I get it. Twitter Twitter is a strange place, and <laughs> also or- Orlando soccer fandom is a strange place. Uh, that it is, you, it's best to stay out of. It is it is a place where you can buy a USL team and move it from Austin, and then somehow use the hashtag born not bought um when you enter mls it is Stupid. really weird Stupid. and and mls is a team it's a league that requires expansion fees it's not a obviously not a promotion relegation kind of league so no matter what you did you bought that is exactly. just the nature of the beast it's like, what uh, do you play your players so in <laughs> <laughs> Um, Do you beans or free, something? They, I mean, I, I think they may pay them in vouchers to Disney World, possibly uh, Universal well, Studios Florida. Um, look, those are totally sure. an expensive trip. Uh, oh, it is. <laughs> I mean, in, those things are are as good as cash. You pay them in hard work and grit and determination. Uh, it's it's the opportunity that's the pay. <laughs> the visibility that you'll get is invaluable. <laughs> You're hitting too close to home, Jason. I know. I always do. <laughs> There's a lot. Right, well, I've got uh, some questions about DC United, if you'll humor me. 
if okay. that's sure. okay. Was, I mean, it's, unless you want to talk more about Atlanta United, which is fine with me. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. All right, let's go. So, how are you? How are you dealing with the departure of Yumi Assad and that? Not great. He rejected us. <laughs> Uh, I, I asked Kevin and Tim about this yesterday, how they dealt with, with losing Assad so that I could could help my own process. Um, yeah, I've been coming up with, uh, and our listeners know this, I've been coming up with scenarios under which he would return to DC. So I have not yet reached acceptance. I'm still in the bargaining stage of, of loss. I like that your, <laughs> your latest one was that the fact that the galaxy are going to break the rules with their four DPs might open the door for DC United to um, just do the same thing. And until March 1st, I'm still on it. <laughs> <laughs> that still door on is not bullshit. closed, my friend. So we like to usually end these, uh, these guest segments with, uh, with one question in particular. And that is, if you were in Ben Olsen's very nice sneakers, uh, how would you be game planning against Atlanta United this week? And what would you be looking to try to do on the weekend? Ooh, well, I'd be looking at how, how Rediano was, was able to just, um, I, I think, I think you're going to be playing us earlier in this early enough in the season where we haven't got things figured out. So if you can, knock out the two defensive midfielders it doesn't look like pity is as Miguel Almiron was we were completely spoiled with Almiron because he was he was an eight but uh, and he would also go on the wing so he played a multitude of uh positions and he also had the work rate uh to to go back all the way in the defense win the ball and then bring it all the way that type of player so I'm worried there's there's going to be a way that once you get past that that front three uh, or front four, if we're talking about PT and a diamond, then uh, if you can get past uh, Nagby uh, and Rometty, then that would be um, probably the way to win the game. It's pulling players out of – if you can make the shape – of the three, four, two, have to pivot as much as it can. Then you're going to pull guys, and the chemistry is not going to be there uh, for them to recover enough. Because it play, if Bellow's starting, attack him. Um, I'd be going all day at Bellow down. There. So and Brekshay, if he's in there, I'm sure hit him too so you go down the left hopefully lgp makes a mistake and um um be planning for it just press hard get past the front and then i feel like the rest of the guys are not gonna have the communication together so like the game against montreal it sounds like a game that'll be played uh, I guess it'll be the opposite of Montreal against them. DC United and, and Montreal were playing on the same side of the field, but it was DC United's left and and Montreal's right. It sounds like you're, you're suggesting the game would be the opposite. Because if I were Atlanta, mm-hmm. I would be attacking Hara um, first, second, and third in this game. So uh, just like Montreal, but 
exactly the opposite. And hopefully the score is exactly the mm-hmm. opposite as well, at least from the DC's perspective. Uh, Dan James, thanks for coming on filibuster. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? I'm a at DNJMS. Uh, I am trying to tweet a little bit more, but you know, life kind of gets in the way sometimes. Or you can get me at the, uh, at the home before dark network and hear me on that podcast. Thanks, Dan. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We are also on Patreon. If you want to support us financially, patreon.com slash filibuster is the place to do that. On Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. You can find all our personal Twitter accounts in the bio for the filibuster account. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the Internet Archive, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. And um, I, I, what I've heard is you're supposed to tell your friends to rate and review us on iTunes or something like that. I'm not exactly just, sure how just it works. Just yell at your friends generally. <laughs> and if you say filibuster in there, we're going to call it a win. Um, that I, I think that's how things work in 2019. Uh, For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, thanking Dan one more time. Say goodbye, Jason. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm glad I'm still alive.